TV Drama Podcast. I'm Scott, and joining me once again this week, the graceful insider to my clumsy interloper, it's Brian. Hey, Scott. How are you doing? And uh, do you mind if I talk to you awkwardly about your deceased father? (laughs) Hey, guys. No. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my Lord. We are here once again this week to talk about... um, you know, possibly all the best TV series HBO has to offer right now. You know, no dragons need apply here. Um, as always, check the segment breakdown if there's anything you don't watch and you prefer to skip so you can save your valuable time trying to figure out, I don't know, what streaming services are starting to add up to more than the, that cord you claim you cut or something. I don't know. Based on my recent cable bill, it's probably never going to happen as far as I'm concerned. So let's get right to the first show on the docket tonight, and that would be Succession. Which, again, hits us with a title that's kind of relating to Connor's nuptials, even though this episode has very little to do with that. But the metaphor for what these two words here work just right for the real plot and theme of this installment. For the title is Honeymoon States. And just how long does, or did, the honeymoon last between constantly sniping factions as well as those who have rarely been in spoken opposition to each other? It's something that hit... That's hit upon a number of times throughout the proceedings of this episode, whether it be between family members or work partners, colleagues, and so on. So when the episode opened, I, I'm pretty sure it's the very next day. That's 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 my take on it, right? Right, Brian? It is the next day, yes. That's what I thought. Because we open the next day and, you know, boom, look, Kendall's depressed. Oh, there's a shock. Roman is very matter-of-factly going through the morning rituals of brushing his teeth, but... I think that's almost a a bellwether for the way he's going to be in this episode, where all of a sudden I realize they should have like a subtitle under him, so the series can go from being called Succession to Suppression, because that's what yeah. Roman does in this episode, I think. Yeah, he, he's, he's tightly wound and managing it by pretending to be normal and dealing with a routine and like he's over it. Exactly. And of course, the th- our third Roy, Shiv, we see her in a bed and she gets a call from her doctor. And that's when we find out that she's actually several weeks pregnant. Now, should we and can we assume that the the bun in the oven, uh, the baker is Tom? Um, and maybe this happened before everything kind of went south for them. And maybe that is really what's truly adding to her stress level as far as their impending divorce, aside from all the power and the money, whatever. The fact is a, there's a kid in the mix. I think that's the implication. But with this show, who knows? That is true. Very true. So Kendall arrives at the – I never know what to refer to it because it, it, it's not a house. It's a building. It's not – it's – I don't know, the mansion, the townhouse. Maybe it's a townhouse. It might be a townhouse. Yeah, it could be a townhouse. Okay. Anyway, Kendall arrives there. And I like, I love the fact he's walking by Hugo and you hear Hugo's on the phone with Juliet mouthing off about getting, well, first curse of the night on the podcast, getting fucked in the ass, whatever. And I love that 
any other show you think, oh, that's just thrown in as just kind of like a little character shading and, and fun. And the fact in this episode, nope, that's actually going to be very important. And I love that little seed is planted here and it's going to, it's going to grow a little bit later on. And then it's going to get, <laughs> it's going to get uprooted in a really diabolical fashion by the end of the episode. I, I, I love the way things are sprinkled and, and tracked throughout this episode. If there's any doubt that this is a dark comedy, uh, the people that just think of this as a drama and don't think the writers are having a ball with this stuff. I mean, you know, what's more classic to comedy than a callback? Oh, yeah. And and this is like, you know, the ultimate callback that comes at the end of the one hour set that goes back to something early uh, in the episode. So I really like that too. Yeah. And, and, and just, to, and just so, so we can plant the seed ourselves and kind of weird to be talking about planting the seed, considering a, the context of this conversation and b the fact that we we're just talking about Shiv being pregnant. But anyway, we should, I should mention that <laughs> one of the other lines that Hugo has on the phone. And again, we don't know who he's talking to at this point. When we find out who he's talking to, it's even, wow, it's even worse. But one of the things where he first, other than being fucked in the ass, he does refer to being uh, a strap-on being used, I yes. believe. So that, which is kind of important, although we would never have thought so in the first few minutes of this episode. But but what is really important, and I think we might have referenced it in a previous podcast, which I think is our running line in every podcast we do nowadays, um, Marsha is back. Yeah, I was glad to see her. Now, a lovely little touch I'm sure every single viewer caught it and kind of went, ha ha, that's nice. You know, when, Cause Kendall's the first one to run into her. And I love that he starts to say, where have you, then he switches to when did she get in? Yeah. <laughs> he starts to say it, the thing that everyone is thinking and not just people there, the viewers are like, what happened to her? <laughs> but he then, he, he, he shifts and then he gets the answer of um, how they, her, her, her realizing the obvious questions that are going to be in the air, but she goes right into how they spoke every morning and afternoon. She came as soon as she heard, and then she basically buttons their relationship as it was complicated, but they spoke intimately. Oh yeah. God. Every evening. Um, I, I gotta say seeing Marsha again, I think one almost forgets how the actress and her name is, uh, I think it's Haim Abbas how she could be such a withering badass on this series. And then you're reminded why her pairing with Logan actually made so much sense that there, she, she might, she might be a little bit more subtle at times with her put downs, but she can be just as nasty and mean (laughs) as her husband can be. Yeah. And she, she actually understood and played the game with Logan and with the rest, uh, and actually showed some skill at playing the game when we saw her in the past. And she could do it without a lot of the gruff exterior and some of the character flaws that a lot of the other characters have. Right. And as a result, um, what probably makes her character such an interesting one, and and actually the kind of power that she actually always had, unlike a Logan, she's very easily underestimated. She's, I think she's constantly been underestimated by them um, throughout throughout the series, and even even going into this episode, when you realize hmm, there's a lot more going on with Marsha than y'all want to give her credit for. 
So the next several minutes of the episode pretty much ping pong back and forth between the Roy's and the, and what I like to call the, the work cabal, you know. So, you know what? Let's just bounce back and forth with them. Now, since we just were talking about Marsha, we got to go there. I love after the, there's an initial embrace once again between the, the, the Roy's. Um, but. <laughs> Unlike the last time, which was, you know, filled with, you know, they, they were genuinely upset and sad and, and stricken. There's maybe a little bit of that here. But really what, what they want to do is talk about Marsha being back. And, and they all get their little snipey comments in, you know. And, you know, other than the obvious thing like death becomes her. But I love when someone... When they start to speculate, where's Carrie? Because that's that's a question hanging over all this with Marsha being back in town. And that's when Roman throws out a line, which was my runner-up for, may use it for the intro tonight, but I went <laughs> I went simpler instead. When he says, oh, she's in Marsha's trunk inside an anaconda, inside a sarcophagus. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, and the thing with Roman, I mean, obviously – Lines like that are par for the course with him more than any other character on, on, in the entire series. Like, so he's always, you know, you know, both witty and raunchy at the same time. But they also go right to what we were saying before about how he's suppressing his feelings. And I think a lot of that is because of how raw and open we saw him in the previous episode. So it's in this scene where they talk about when, when, it, when they are still react, they are still in talking about reaction to their father's death. And then later they talk about the world's reaction and the media's reaction. But as we were saying before, he's in suppression mode. So he talks about how he was, he's always been prepared for this. So he's pre grieved. I, I love yeah. that. You know what? I, I want dictionary.com in a couple years. You know, if, if they can get Stephen Colbert's, you know, truthiness or whatever that was years ago added to the lexicon of actual words. I, if pre grieved isn't already a word, I, I'm assuming it's not. It deserves to be. It sounds like it should be. Yeah, yeah. Well, I like to think of I like to think of uh, Roman as a person who uh, his coping mechanism is the equivalent of what I do in my profession, and that is, you know, it's it's he almost has a gallows humor to everything to sort of protect his psyche, and you know, Kendall has his transcendental meditation and. Shiv has her, you know, being a boss and being steely in those moments. His thing is really to deflect with dark humor. I would say, I mean, that's, that's, that's absolutely true. I would also go further and say Shiv also dabbles in, in Gallo's humor. Um, the difference between her and Roman, generally speaking, is, and she does it in this episode. In fact, and she's not, and it's not the first time, but it's definitely apparent in this episode. She'll say something and then she'll do, she does the reverse of when, you know, uh, what's the, what's the line that people use but when, but right before they're going to, they hit you with something really harsh, you know? Oh, the, 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 with all due respect, but yeah, that kind of a thing. I, which I wish I hadn't, because I'm actually going to use that line later. Uh, <laughs> but you know what I mean? It's a, it's a Seinfeld thing, episode thing where I just can't remember what it was. Um, Shiv does that in reverse, where she'll say the thing, and then she'll be like almost, sort of, kind of apologize for it immediately, but then, but then she goes right back to it again, 
You know, right. she, you know, it's like, oh, that's a horrible thing to say, but then I'll, but now I'm going to say something even worse. That's what, that's her style. Right. Um, I also love her phrasing when she, especially when she sees Tom, you know, and I love that Tom has a brief moment where it's like he's caught in between where it looks like there's the room with, with the Roy's and there's the room with the work cabal. And it's like, oh, which way is Tom going to go? And we all like, well, you got to go with the work thing. You, you, you've been cut out of this mix for a while, dude. But he, ref- she refers to the whole thing as the Carnation Demolition Derby. I was like, yeah, why? Mm. I just, I just loved how that rolled off the tongue there. So yes, and that, and I should be more specific that uh, work cabal or office cabal, whatever you want, we want to call them, uh, the waste, the waste star gang, whatever. It's Carolina, it's Jerry, it's Frank. And it's Carl, because obviously with, you know, after Logan's death, um, they're going to be in communication with the overall board in picking a new top dog, a new CEO for the company. And the person that they sort, they sort of kind of defer to, to a certain degree in the room, although there's not a lot of deference between these people, um, is Frank. And, I, and the really funny moment for me is Frank, when he's trying to play it just to have a somewhat more private conversation about it. When he goes, would anyone care for a look at the China <laughs> to go in that other little room where maybe it's where the China actual China closet is or whatever. Meanwhile, in the very other room, you've got Roman throwing out, you know, kind of a truth where he says, you know, he was going to fire half that room. Yeah. <laughs> and that's Right around that time, um, king of the awkward, you know, Greg pops in. And then he says, my guys, my lovely guys. Yeah. And I'm like going, oh, my God. Oh, just every moment with Greg is just so. Uh, he, he, it's, it, it's interesting how in many ways he's changed. And yet at the end, of, I don't want to say end of the day yet again, but I'm going to do it anyway. He's still floundering. He he's still he's still the awkward outlier, outsider, everything else in, among amongst all of them. Um, he's just. I just think sometimes he he might be aware of that, and he kind of tries to use it to his advantage. You know, his 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 aw shucksness is kind of you know kind of a facade to a certain degree, as we saw him with, with what he did with the, the, the documents and, and other things before, and the way he was asking about you know, certain women. Um, but speaking of women, Roman says, you need to get a new mommy. I was like, oh, jeez. Yeah. <laughs> and then, of course, he, he channels his own dad. Although, um, Papa Roy was not the only person to use that phrase over and over. He does tell him to fuck right on off. <laughs> well, I, the thing about Greg, and, and he illustrates even in this scene, is Greg is like a pair, a fine looking pair of khakis that is with all the other khakis in your, your closet. But for some reason, when you put them on, they just don't feel right. Like, (laughs) you know, like they're just uncomfortable and you just don't like the way they're, they feel on you or the way they fit. The the, the pleats a bit off. They, 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 they they tent when you sit down and it looks like something's going on when it's not, I know exactly what you mean, which is why I don't like khakis. I never wear them. Um, did I just go that TMI? Nah. Anyway, so <laughs> so one of my and this this is an episode that's um, peppered with like all these little great little moments that I really adored, and one of them is an unexpected one for me. Um, speaking of that work cabal, the the really spicy sniping between Carl and Jerry, you know, about the interim position, um, and and especially and. Jerry, it doesn't shock me as much, but Carl, Carl in this overall episode, he is in rare form. <laughs> he, he, he is 
dishing out the insults and t- and takedowns as well as I've ever seen him, and probably better than I've ever seen him. And his best one, we gotta go with when he gives an honest evaluation of Tom to his face, no less. Yeah. <laughs> when he calls him, uh, let me say I have it all here. Um, he's seen as a clumsy interloper. The only guy pulling for him is dead. And now he's just married to the ex-boss's daughter and she doesn't even like him. So he is fair and squarely fucked. Yeah. <laughs> and I went, wow, I, I've, I've gotten more respect for Carl from this episode than I did from the previous three seasons plus it's kind of funny that carl is a perfectly happy minion but in a vacuum of power boy did his teeth come out mm-hmm. i was going wow that dude used to be sledgehammer yeah and then i realized there's probably like three three or four people listening who even know what remember what sledgehammer was anyway mm-hmm. <laughs> um and a little while ago, um, when um, Roman had told uh, Grant to go fuck off, one of the reasons was they were also getting ready for a possible call either to or from uh, Matson or Matson's people, apparently, uh, because you still have to worry about the whole Waystar um, sale deal going on. So they they get this guy on it, but it's Oscar, who is Matson's guy, but it's obviously not Matson himself. And we realized through the phone call, not the most empathetic Dude, <laughs> I'm talking to these people whose dad, the patriarch, just has less than 24 hours ago died. He's kind of really being dickish about and and forcing the the situation about when and where to meet, and not really trying to be in any way convenient for the people who were, you know, still need to worry about you know burying their dad. But he's at. But Scott, he's at a retreat. Well, right, and you know, it's a retreat, man. Plus, it's you know, a retreat. <laughs> so then we get a we got a few little fun moments of um the oh i love the awkwardness of greg and marcia which is just um the fact that greg is doing whatever he can to try to like suck up to her because he sees her i think he's seeing after what happened especially with the the other three roys and everything's like all right this is i need i need an in somewhere and that's around this point where connor and willa show up I love the little exchange between Willa and Marsha. Yeah. And we got to give it to Willa on this one because there's the not so passive aggressive or whatever you want to call it comment that Marsha makes where she essentially says, congratulations. Look, look how far you've come. And she's like, wow, look at us both. Yeah. (laughs) Wow. Look at what we both married into. And the next thing, and it's going to be funny because I'm going to be making a reference to this um, also on the next series we're going to be talking about in this podcast. The One of the shocking moments for me was the little homage. They make a Deadwood-style deal <laughs> to buy the house. Connor and Marsha do, I mean. Spit on the hand and shake. <laughs> Straight out of Deadwood. And then I remembered, hey, you know what? Brian Cox was actually on Deadwood, if I'm not yeah. mistaken. He's the, the acting troupe, wasn't he part of that? Yeah, he was Mr. Langrish. Look at you remembering the name. Holy crap. Um, so I, I the, mo- the moment that happened, I was like, wow, Deadwood? Is, is, H- is HBO getting into self-referencing now? Nicely done. Yeah, he, he Connor, for whatever reason, wants to buy the house. He throws out a number between 60 and 70. She goes in at 63. Wow. Okay. Done. Now we get to some of the 
kind of the fun plotting and where it leads to some not so much fun moments. You've got, you've got first it's initially Frank and Carl, but then Jerry, you know, joins them. It's all about this document, this paper they found in Logan's safe. Now, in the moment, as we're watching this, obviously the viewer, we can't help but speculate, wait, did he actually name someone? And when Carl references Little Princess, there's a, there was a moment I thought they were going to be talking about Shiv, but then it occurred to me, the way Carl has been so acidically funny this entire episode, he's got to be talking about Kendall. <laughs> <laughs> Which is who it is, because and you know if this is Carl from like last season. I'm thinking it's got to be Shiv. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and, and and this whole plot as it started went in a really different way than I thought it was going to. Oh, um, like the the initial the initial hey let's talk in hypotheticals of what could happen about this piece of paper. Um, you know that that what it says clearly is not what they love to hear. Uh, so they start saying, you know, it could disappear. And then I love when Jerry walks in and says, what are you doing? And they say, well, we're, you know, there's this paper. And, you know, we were just talking about what would happen if it just disappeared. And <laughs> uh, I love that whole conversation. Uh, but but what it leads into surprised me. And that, like, then what happens after that is really straightforward. And we kind of see maybe the most. Uh, unironic bit of truth told between all these people in a room in a long time. Right. Interesting. And, and it makes me wonder if in the moment of possessing that and seeing Logan's handwriting and knowing it's his, that at least something in all of them does want to honor the man. It, it, it's hard because that doesn't ever seem to be what's really the first thought for these folks. I don't know if that's how much, how much they, at the end of the day, how, oh, I said it again. Holy crap. Uh, okay. That's, that's my bad catchphrase for the evening. I see. Um, but at the end, Oh, you know, it's even in my fucking notes. I just wrote. That. <laughs> I just, my notes are about Jerry, both smartly and the twee bit desperately points out. It's really not likely to be germane because at the end of the day, this is solely up to the board. <laughs> Yeah. All right. I cannot use that word, those words anymore. But yeah, I know exactly what you're saying, and it's going to get really. Uh, we'll we'll further those entanglements when we get there, and which is pretty darn soon, actually, because there's there's a few little things that happen here. So they're, they're more like little 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 fun little tasty little bits for us to chew on before we get to where it starts to heat up again. And that's thing, you know, whether it be Connor and Willow walking around talking about buying the place and Connor actually interacting with his siblings. Um, there's that moment about, I have a great grief guy. You know, and, yeah. You know, I love that. Yeah, and the response, it's it's when someone says, fuck you, but they meet, they, they meet it with a smile. It's kind of nice. And they're all talking about, you know, the, the obits that are going around about their dad and, and what, and, and what they actually mean. Um, but the, even though that is interrupted briefly, and here's that important little plot point that we got from the beginning of the episode, a little conversation is had, a private conversation, which the, the folks in the room kind of react to. It's like, why, why are we having a private conversation just with him? And we find out about that phone call. And we find out that the Juliet person that Hugo is talking to is actually his daughter, which makes you go, ooh. <laughs> 
And it turned out he had kind of maybe said something to his daughter about selling Waystar stock pretty much well before Logan's death actually got made public. I'm pretty sure everyone watching realized that's not a good thing. Right. <laughs> that's that's bad. <laughs> but, you know, it's kind of like it, it, it's, it's handled in a don't worry about it kind of way. But you realize, okay, they're, they're planting a pole here. They're planting a pole there. I wonder if there's going to be a third poll later on. Yes, there will be. Yeah, but I, I see this as after, at the end of the episode, when I went back and looked at my notes, I reflect on this as the first sign that Kendall is is moving in the direction of his father. Oh, yeah. Because this is the very first sign where Hugo's messed up. He comes to Ken and it's this is almost like the the end of season one mm-hmm. of what what his dad did to him exactly like somebody's in trouble and he sort of jokingly threatens them but you know hey we're gonna you know I'm gonna help you get out of this but it's to keep that person close to him and and exert power over him oh, and, absolutely and so you see that's the first breadcrumb we don't realize where it's going. Right. But telling you where where uh, uh, Kendall ends up at the end of the episode. It's the first bit that that leads to that that we yes. don't realize. I would say it's, but what actually happens would constitute the second thing because it's obviously the overall decision before that would be the first thing, uh, which is which is taking a to use Shiv's words in a previous episode, basically taking a page from you know his her, their father's playbook is what he, Kendall does at the end of this episode. In yes. Place. Um, I, I don't, I, I, I'll, and of course I do want to spend more time on the, on the important stuff like that, but I can't let the fun stuff pass because the code word scene in the article between them and what they're talking about is maybe one of the funniest things in the entire episode. When, especially when, Ro, when they start to define what each term means and the old bitch with them really saying, and, and the best one, the one that made the least sense to me, which made it the funniest, was the translation of connected? Oh, that's what that that really means. Pedophile, although we never suggested you fuck a child. And Kendall, like, yeah, he wouldn't even hug his grandkids. Yeah, and I was like, going, oh, they are setting each other up, and it's like, wow, they they are a comedy team when they can team up on somebody else, even if it's their dead father. Um, yeah, yeah, I love this scene. It's like perverse English teachers diagramming a sentence. Like, like this is what th- this is what that statement means. That's what that statement means. And you know, like, like uh, believed in security. You know, close the uh, strong border security. Racist. <laughs> yes, <laughs> just, yes, exactly. So, I, I, I love how they just you know sort of cut through the code words. Ah, uh, that's great. That's around that moment. That's when Tom pops in again, much to everyone's. And he, they, and he basically, it's on that they. As in, you know, that office cabal wants to see you, want to see you up in the library. We do get this little brief moment between Tom and Kendall where, and Tom keeps pressing the case that, you know, he's just here to serve. He's trying to be, you know, the nice guy and whatever. He's trying to make sure, you know, he's trying to smooth feathers wherever he can. And I, I just like Kendall's response is simply, I like you, Tom. Good luck. <laughs> That's yeah. it. And it made me think, cause I haven't, and I haven't done a rewatch. I just haven't had the time. I haven't had time to watch anything lately except these couple shows. Um, I don't really ever think of Kendall and Tom interacting much on the series for the previous three seasons. I, I just can't think of it. 
I mean, I'm, I'm sure they have in some way, but it's it's one of the more rare interactions, if anything. I mean, again, unless I'm forgetting something. I, I, mean, I think they've had some interactions, but but they've been largely superficial. Yeah, I mean, family get-togethers and yeah. the word spoken, but beyond that, really not, really not. So we get to that document, and we realize that at, at some point in time, um, after the fact, uh, Logan had actually named Kendall as his successor. Um, although as they look at the document and they start realizing this probably happened possibly as, as long as four years ago, and you have all these addendums written in pencil on this, you know, there's no indication it was witnessed by anybody else. There's nothing notarized. There's nothing suggesting there's actual legal value to the document, or at least that's the case. Everyone in everyone not named Kendall in that room is pressing, which is totally fair and reasonable to say because I, I, I think I and most would probably agree with that. However, it's when Shiv takes a look at the document, and she also points out the fact um, you can't tell for sure whether Kendall's name has been underlined or has it actually been crossed out. And she's clearly saying it in a way where she's leaning towards crossed out. And that's when I realized, oh, you know what's happening right now? This is what I like. To, this is what I'm going to like to call respectful sniping. Yes. And this is to go with what you had said earlier. And I, I almost wish I'd tell you what, I like to, what I'm going to say later because I'm like, don't say it now. Because I feel every line in this scene could be preceded by, with all due respect. <laughs> Every everything they say should be gone. With all due respect, <laughs> that's yeah. how that whole scene felt to me. As opposed, I'll say one more thing that'll let you get your get your jimmies in here. Jimmies, what does that mean? Um, <laughs> sprinkles or or privates? I don't know. As opposed to someone getting zero respect, and that would be Greg <laughs> when he's called in because apparently his name appears on the document. But, you know, just his name with a question mark. Yeah. I, I love that detail. And then, you know, of course, in his Greg way, he tries to spin it in the most positive possible light. And it sounds like a complete moron. Oh, it's 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 painful. There are. There's one. This is one of those shows, as we know, really excels at those the painfully awkward moments and whatever. And. Let's face it, at least half of them usually involve Greg, and the rest are usually like, you know, Kendall on a binge or something. <laughs> I, I believe it's possible that Greg is like the bastard child of Michael Scott. He's so painful. Yes, yes. Except maybe not as smart. Which is maybe really... Not as smart as Michael. You know, he could never make a sale. No, not, not at all. So after at least m most of the folks file out of the room, it's just Kendall and Frank. And as we may recall, these two, they've had a history of you know, aligning together. And then there's always been subsequent fallout to their, you know, collaborations or whatever. But it's a, it's a surprisingly emotional moment for Kendall to have with someone who's not a member of his family. Even though he's probably known Frank for so many years, he's, you could say he's like family. And one of the touches I've, and again, this is probably the case with previous seasons as well. It's just we never podcasted about them, so I don't remember for sure. It's the it's the short, um, abbreviated use of words that say so much, and they're doing that with Kendall 
And I, I really, really adore that. That, that to me, that is the best writing I see on this series or, or most other series. When he said something simply as, he made me hate him and then he died. And even as Frank is trying to counter that, you're like, I feel like he didn't like me. I disappointed him. Yeah. That, that sums up your, he, he, he sums up the, his entire relationship with his father, probably since the point of, if not childhood, then at least from adulthood on. Yeah. You know, it's really something. Yeah. And, and I thought this scene, this was my favorite moment um, in the episode, because when you first encounter the document, you find out Frank's been named the executor. Right. I, th- I think stealthily, Frank is probably the closest thing to Logan having a real friend that, that he actually had and is the closest with the kids to somebody they consider something more than just a business acquaintance. Um, and it makes sense when you see this scene to think that Logan named Frank the executor. Um, and he has the words with the. Uh, with Kendall and I, I made a note cause I liked it so much. He said he was an old bastard and he loved you. Like, you know, that, that those two things can both exist at the same time. Right. And, and I, I thought both of them in this scene, um, really distilled down the core of Logan and of Kendall and their relationship in a way that like in one minute, you know, it, it was just really, really great, really, really great writing. And you see almost Kendall being a little boy talking to Frank and Frank trying to console him. And then, you know, Kendall tries to even enlist Frank's help at the end. Right. And you know, cause he says, you know, if I can get them in behind me, will you follow? And I just love that Frank, it often when, characters speak to each other on succession and it's like they're trying to in, in in a way where it seems on the surface they're sympathizing empathizing call whatever ising you want to call it and trying to be human and try and looking out for the other person but it happens so very rarely it always seems more about ulterior motives and they really have something else you know in mind with beyond what their words are saying but when Frank says to him that, you know, you, you know, you've, because Frank has seen how Kendall, you know, he, how, how he hit, you know, rock bottom not that long ago and how even just the stuff he's doing with, with his other siblings and with, you know, with, with the, the Pierce communication stuff and yada, yada, yada. And just, he's in a better place. You've got stuff cooking. Do you really want back in? You seem so well. You're, you, you're not dealing with your addiction issues now. You know, so I, I thought that was very interesting. Yeah, um, I really enjoyed that. And then, right, we 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 cut right from there to uh, a staircase where, and a lot of things happen on that staircase in this episode. Uh, you know, I can, you know. Meanwhile, no one's looking for Cecil B. DeMille. Don't know why. We have Shiv and Roman having a conversation, and this is what I'm talking about with Shiv, where she says, "Part of me is like, well, let's give the the poor little orphan what he wants." <laughs> <laughs> and then she got, and then she almost tries to walk that back, but then she presses forward just as much, you know, whatever. And she's going about, you know, hey, but this is, you know, the thing between all three of them, how they've been working together. This has felt good, but does that feel good? Right. 
the, the and the the funny thing is when you have the conversations that are happening, whether it's between the Roys or it's between the the work cabal, at some point someone always mentions. Well, bear in mind this is just an interim thing because once that supposed sale that everyone supposedly wants to go through happens, it's extremely unlikely whoever the interim person in it, whoever the interim CEO is, is going to remain in that position because. Of course, Lucas is going to want to put someone else in. Why would he? I mean, he he has no re. He might say otherwise, but does anyone think he would keep any of these people there? I don't think so. A, a corporate stooge or a family that a family whose brand name has gone bad. Why would he do that? It makes no, no. sense. So it's weird that how they're all jockeying for that. Um, you know, if at the end of the day they're still. Oh, I said it again. Wow. Um, <laughs> if they're still adamant about make getting that sale done. Yeah, well, I mean, you don't buy the Yankees and keep the old manager. You you hire your the manager you want, and so there's no way one of them's going to keep that position. But I mean, if you think back to what Connor said, what's the last thing you could do to even if you can't get your dad's approval, you can be the person that ran his company. Like that's true. You you can be the one that ascended to to that height, and and at least have that and and I think all of them want that uh, in some degree and I, I like there was to me here on the staircase we have this sort of this is almost like a West Wing sort of thing where we have like two characters start out the scene and then one walks away and two more continue yep. and then Shiv continues down the staircase into the next room it, it reminded me a lot of, of something you'd see on the West Wing. Uh, you know, they used to call it the walk and talk. But we do stop on the staircase for a significant. But I found it interesting that that there's this talk of the concern that what they'd done actually killed him. Right. Which is where we're going right now, because that's yes. what happens when Tom appears on the stairs. And at first, Shiv is kind of in her, goes into super caustic mode towards him. And again, knowing what, especially what we know from not just previous episodes with, you know, the betrayal, but now about the pregnancy, which if anything, we know he doesn't know about. Um, but it almost, it, you can see how it fuels her that much more that we can now read into these words that much more. And the fact that she would say something about someone and she's still referring to her father, who again is less than 24 hours cold as far as I'm Nick can tell here. And she says how he picked the wrong horse, a dead horse. (laughs) Which is like, geez. And then she goes into thinking how we killed him. Now, here's the thing with that. That little bit about that whole we killed him and talking about their situation. A few things about that. Number one, she doesn't believe that. I'm sorry. She does not believe that. She's doing, I believe she's saying that just to screw with Tom. Because he keeps Tom keeps getting the upper hand on her and keep you know whatever and now with the information she got this morning from her doctor that's not going to get any better for her so th- this is her I feel it's this is her lashing out at him just you know getting get at least scoring some points off him j- while she can because things are not going well as far as her although things aren't really going well for Tom either with Logan being dead so you know but there's still a divorce and there's still what he can do so that's still there and it's interesting cuz all uh, you, the, the main takeaway from the scene for me at least 
is she's so angry. She and we haven't even gotten to the stuff which is going to make her even angrier later on. Right? She's so angry, and even when Tom tries the bit about he's going down memory lane about you know how they met and everything else, and one can question whether he's being truly sincere or not. I, I, one can choose to interpret it either way. I like that you can go either way on that. Whether does Tom is Tom really being serious and sincere here and really feel this way, or is he doing this just to try to? Try just try to to calm her down, to smooth things over, you know, to, to to get to get an in or whatever. Either way, it does not. It doesn't even remotely work. It no. does not work. Which I I thought was like, you know, I don't think any of us thought this was going to change between them. But the, if if things do warm up between them, that might be the most shocking development of the season. We'll see. No, but it it is it it does have that that advantage of using a device that we don't see much on this show. Uh, that we've talked about on other shows, and that is uh, this show, we always know what's going on. And the characters are always informed and are guessing about what other people. This this scene, we know something Tom doesn't know. Right. And so watching it adds a dimension of sadness to it from our perspective, that, that we're aligned emotionally with Shiv in the scene because we know what she's going through. And I believe all the things she says, I think, I think you're right, but I think it's more than that. I think she is lashing out, but I also think she's almost sort of just thinking out loud, brainstorming all this because of just the wave of emotion she's having about that news this morning, dealing with the idea of, you know, her dad being dead and trying to deal with what, how the company is going to be settled. Um, I, I don't know that, that it's, was as tactical maybe as you think it was, but I think, uh, she's definitely saying something to talk about emotions without talking about what the real emotions are inside of her, which is she has this baby now. Right. Um, yeah, I, I, I guess with a show like this, I rarely think any dialogue is spoken by any character that isn't, that, that doesn't have additional ulterior motives and tactics behind it, unless that character is, um, otherwise inebriated or drugged or, or whatever. But if they're in possession of their faculties as normal, it's just the way I view the show and, and view the characters and then how, and how they're all in their little box, box, uh, you know, ripping each other apart all the time. Um, either, no matter, regardless of how they actually feel about each other. But that's, that's just how I choose to interpret it. Yeah. 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 Um, so we, we get a, we, we get an array of these little, 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 bits of facts of things that are happening in this episode and, and laying a groundwork for what might be going on in the next episode or, or we won't see it all. So we, we, you know, little things happen. Colin, the security dude shows up and I love that they're joking about that. He's wearing jeans. And then one of them realizes, wait, he has a kid. <laughs> right. And you realize this is someone who's probably been, you know, they've been seeing this dude probably for the last 10, 15, who knows how many years, you know, as they're, dad's you know right hand security dude and they don't even know he has a kid well what's funnier is we've seen a couple of times a few times they've worn jeans but they can't believe the security guard's not in a suit like you know because he's never worn jeans in their presence oh yeah he's never let his hair down and and they're shocked to see him without jeans 
Oh, it's it's like it's little, I always like it. It's like it's like seeing your teacher at the grocery store. It just it just your your brain doesn't compute it that well, right? They also see that someone that someone showing up with what looks like a drug sniffing dog or something, but it's actually a dog with the Secret Service because it turns out that uh, Jared Menken, uh, who I believe was the uh, presidential candidate that we were dealing with, uh, but but now but now I think he's a DA on Perry Mason anyway. Um, <laughs> Uh, that he's going to be showing up. Uh, we also get a different Politico show who does show up. Stephen Root. I had forgotten that Stephen Root has been on this show before. Stephen Root's been on every show at some point in time. Oh my God! Yeah. Um, he's he's the character Ron Petkus, who I think was like one of the like the main one of the main like GOP party dudes, kind of like in you know kind of helping to pick whoever the next candidate is. One of those kind of guys. We also get a few others showing up. Oh, there's Sandy, and there's Sa- with, with her dad, Sandy, with, with yeah. that weird. Is he smiling or does he just look like that because of the <laughs> stroke and whatever? Which is so perfectly creepy and great. I love that little touch. And of course, and and Stewie is also with them. But we get to a moment. I'm going to say it might be. I'm thinking if I'm right about this, and I think, uh, yeah, I'm gonna, I'll say it is until proven otherwise. The next little scene I think might be the most painful scene in the entire episode, and that's the carry scene. Well, well, hang on before you go there. There's uh, a couple of things I wanted, a couple of loose ends I want to tie up. Go on. Um, because the kids earlier had their version of snapping at Logan. It's at the during this eulogy that we get Tom and Greg taking shots at Logan. Uh, and as he's eulogizing, they're taking they're, they're sort of adding their commentary, which is the mirror of what the kids did earlier. Right. Uh, and and that's that's a fun little scene because that's a that's a callback to a happier time with Greg and Tom, where the family did something or whatever, and and they would comment on the side. And I love this line that this was one of my favorite lines when when the eulogy's going on. Connor, like the kids are all saying what, and Connor comes in outraged and says, says, says they can't do this. They're trying to body snatch him. But the, he was never, a, I think he says he was never a neocon right. or whatever. And, and, but like Connor says, they're trying to body snatch him. I love that line. And that's what he focused on. They were trying to co-opt his dad to stand for something he didn't believe he stood for. Right, right, right. Absolutely. Yeah, that, and that's something we see happen a lot with uh, figure, figures from the past where suddenly they are, seem to be, you know, revisionist thinking puts them in a light that maybe not be, isn't true to what who they actually were. And I think Connor, especially with his own, still some political aspiration, whatever, um, doesn't want his father tainted in situation because obviously that also bleeds onto him as well i think exactly um okay so i you know it's funny i made no notes about those scenes so i'm glad you brought them up uh the carry scene however um and the interesting again not going to recount the whole thing we all remember and saw what happened what's interesting is that roman is actually the most human person there you know they're they're shocked there's laughs there's whatever um although I will say this. Greg is a total douche during the whole scene, but it's also understandable why he's a douche during the whole scene because we've, we, and we've commented on it before. We've seen how horribly Carrie has treated him and spoken to him a number of times before this. 
if there's one guy who's probably not going to be very sympathetic to her plight and maybe even revel in it a bit, it's going to be Greg. And, and, and which also then makes, makes his little kind of, uh, sidling up to Marsha makes so much more sense because other than himself, the, the other person in this entire house who's going to really detest her the most is, of course, it's going to be Marsha, of course. Yeah. So I was like, oh, that's a, and I didn't think of that earlier in the episode when he's first, you know, chatting up Marsha. And then I, then when, but then when this scene happened, I'm like, oh, Gosh darn it, they're so smart. You just <laughs> you just wanted Greg to say, who's the string cheese now? <laughs> <laughs> I got some dipping sauce. All right. So after this, and again, if I skip something that you might have more notes on, feel free to, to, to bounce back to it. But I just have it as just after some brief and either plaintive or pointed interactions we get between Kendall and Shiv and Roman and Tom. Not to mention we get Kendall trying to rally Stewie back to his side again. And by the way, Stewie is a really funny fucking prick in this episode. I <laughs> gotta gotta give the guy credit. Absolutely. Um, you know, it's like you know, it's like wow, he's 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 usually going after uh, metahumans in the Marvel. Anyway, um, <laughs> well, before we get there, go, go there ahead. are a couple of things I want to want to break it. down. Go. Uh, is is you know Tom Tom makes his next attempt to sidle up to one of the and and my favorite line is Roman calls him tiptoe Tommy yes <laughs> like you know Roman Roman doesn't engage in any niceties he just ruthlessly mocks him for being an opportunist um, so Tom's failed there but I thought this was curious that that they actually do tell us then how he died. They actually tell us he had a pulmonary embolism. Mm. Um, and that's when Kendall and Stewie are talking before everybody sort of comes in. Um, and I, I thought that was a nice touch that, you know, that's disclosed to us that that's what happened to him. But was it as nice as learning that maybe he dropped his phone in the toilet on the airplane and trying to fish his phone in the toilet? <laughs> well, that came from the, the Tom and Greg conversation. Greg, yeah. <laughs> so finally, Kendall is able to corral his two main siblings together with a, you know, can we talk kind of thing and the Roy's talk and they talk. And ultimately the brothers come to push the idea of it being the two of them because, you know, three, three is simply one too many. And we get this little unusual alliance of Kendall and Roman. Shiv is understandably worried. They make their case for each per, for the, the pros and cons of each person, but it seems in, in there, at the end of it, mm, wow, I went there again. <laughs> it, it, they come to real, they, they come to decide that it makes the most sense for it to be the Kendall and Roman. Now, either we, we, either we, the viewer agree with that stance. Eh, I don't know about that. But the old guard before the bo the board vote, they all get their shots in. They all get their shots in. I also love that Stewie insists on, on staying and we don't know. It's like, oh, that's a curious decision. But then when he pipes in, it's like going, oh, he 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 puts it right here. Wow, it's a good, he actually might be a good ally to have for a change. Yeah. So then, when all when 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 all is said and done, which is better than saying at the end of the day, um, Ken and Roman are announced as the 
like, are they co-CEOs? Is that how they're, they're yes. Okay, so it's not a CEO and a COO kind of thing. It's they're just they're both CEO, okay, or co-CEO or whatever. While that announcement is happening, as they all walk out, Shiv simply walks off. She's not. She she's not going to stand there like like a moron during during all this, and she marches past Marsha downstairs. And that's when she trips on those little couple stairs that lead into, I guess, like the parlor room. Did you gasp when that happened? Because I, yeah. I, I mean, I, it's a great, it's a great touch. It's a great touch because it just because it, it, it's so. What's the word I'm looking for? Um, not discombobulating. It, it's unsettling. That's what I'm. Yeah. Because, if she just walks up and she's just plain angry and she's starting or she, they could have went so cliche. And I love, as I've said before, I love the show avoids that. We don't get Shiv walking into a room and throwing something or smashing something or anything like that or just seething, whatever. The, 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 the almost fall down the stair thing. Plus, we also know that she's several weeks pregnant, which makes us go <gasps> even more, right. you know? Um, I just it's it's just a great smart little touch, like many in this episode, right? And, and you know the 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 symbolism in the show, like you know Tom caught between two worlds, the cinematography. I mean, like you know, Shiv's off balance and she's right. lost her balance, and you know it's a great visual representation in that moment of where she is in her head. Right, she's she's she's. It's almost like you, you you've lost your standing with with the situation, and you almost did, or, or when you lost your footing, right? So then Roman Kendall go into what I believe is it's their dad's office um, at the home, and, and that's and Carolina and Hugo are there as well. So you realize that um, it's always sometimes I get a little fuzzy on what spe- everyone's specific job responsibilities are. I mean, I know Carolina is always very involved with communication, so she is what, you know, comms. Hugo apparently is as well. That's the one I used to get, I used to get confused on. It's like, wait, is Hugo the lawyer, or is he both? Or is he Actually, he can be both, quite frankly. But right now, they're trying to decide how to handle the news, how it how it's going to influence the stock, all those sort of things. By the way, um, I don't know if it was in this episode or the pre- it might have been the previous one. There's a moment where they're trying to figure out about um, um, the obit for um, Logan or something. And I kept thinking, wouldn't they have that prepared all this time for him? Like all news organizations do. But, you know, maybe because it's him, they wouldn't have done it. You know, because of his own ego being like, well, I'm, I'm a mortal, whatever. Anyway, the communications, they present two possible plans of how to proceed. One, which I love, is called Operation Embalm Lenin, yeah. which, which is the nice safe choice. You know, we, 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 we build them up. We, you know, it's all about the family. We see photos. We, you know, the, the name on the paper, you know, Kent, whatever. Go about it that way. Or they can just shit all over dad. <laughs> and in the moment, that's they they reject that they say they're gonna they're, they're gonna they're gonna be the above board route you know they're not they're not they're not gonna they're gonna burnish not tarnish you know and so my question before I say anything else I mean especially if you happen to click and you see depending on how, where if you're watching it live or you're watching it on HBO Max you always are one I think I personally am I'm always aware of how much time is left in an episode of whatever I'm watching. 
And if I, if I see there's a significant amount of time still left, I'm like, mm, I don't think that's where this is going to go. <laughs> Did you have that same thought as well? Cause I was kind of like, I don't know about that. Cause what you said, what we said earlier, I had the feeling that, that Kendall was way too agreeable uh, in the room and throughout all of this, he's always wanted to talk. I mean, he's the guy that wears you the hell out with wanting to talk the shit out of everything. Mm -hmm. And he was way too agreeable, way too quick. Uh, now I wasn't sure like it would quite go the dark route. It does. But, but I, I did not think that was the end of at least him having machinations about what to do. Well, the, the, the great touch that they do, because one of the hardest things to convey in any story in a way that doesn't feel contrived is when you see something that's not, especially something that's not necessarily spoken, um, and you realize what is a, a, the thought occurring to uh, a character or a, a realization. Sometimes it could even be an epiphany. It could be something much more minor or just, you know, an admission to oneself, even if it, again, not spoken and they do it here and they do it very well. And so the credit goes to the writing, the acting, the directing and the way it's shot. Absolutely. It's when he's looking and it's not some amazing, wow, people are going to be talking about that. Traffic. Not at all, but it's the choice. It's editing also. It's Kendall looking at, we realize he took a picture of the document. It's on his phone and he's looking at it and he's looking at that one part. And I, and that's when I knew, and I think we all knew. So no, no, no pat on the back for me this week. He knows that's a cross out and not an underline. It's a cross out. I, I mean, once we see it really clear, like, no. That's a cross out. <laughs> there's, there's, there's too many letters with pencil through. And I could, I, I was like, that's a cross out. And that's when you realize, oh, he's going to change his, what he just said, he's going to go right back on that. And we see him going to Hugo and he basically wants Hugo to go the, uh, uh what's the, what's the phrase I was like, you know, the, the slash, shit, the slash shit all burn. over dad. Yeah. The shit, the shit all over dad one. Um, and Hugo, you know, he seems rather taken aback and he doesn't, and it, also the fact that he want to do it in a way where to keep his hands clean from yeah. it, that, that's not him, which sounds so very familiar, <laughs> you know. Hey, Tom, go take care of Carrie. Exactly. Um, and that's where he brings up the, the conversation he had with Hugo earlier and he, cause he, and he referenced it in a way where he references the strap on. <laughs> Absolutely. And the look on Hugo's face realizes, oh, I, I don't have a way out of it with, with Kendall here. Cause he knows I'm, cause he, he is now going to have to be a, until something weird changes. He is now going to have to be at Kendall's beck and call because that's the unspoken blackmail is right there, you know? And like I said, it's a page from his dad's playbook. You know, it's, and we've seen, and the fact that we've seen Logan do this a few times this season already, whether it be what you just mentioned about with the, with the Carrie situation or when he wanted Roman to get rid of Jerry, you know, it's always, you know, give it to someone else to do. Cause again, one of the, one of the things about having such power is delegating and keep, keeping yourself, you know, removed from it. So you, you can't, you, you it can't blow back on you or something. 
Yeah, you can inflict immense pain. You just don't have to experience it yourself. Right. And that is the end of that episode. And I got to say, now, look, whenever any series has like one of those much talked about, you know, pop culture zeitgeist, wowly, wow, wow episodes, it's always hard to follow it. It's always hard to follow it. Doesn't matter what the series is. Um, so one had to know or had to expect there'd be some level of come down from the previous one. What I love about a show like this and what made that episode so unique from last week is that why that episode is so significant is it may be one of the most extended emotional episodes of succession. Whereas you've had major emotional moments, whether it be Kendall breaking down with his siblings at the end of season three or with his dad back at the end of season one and you know, a few others sprinkled here and there. This was multiple characters all dealing with the, the death of a somewhat loved one, depending on how you want to look right. at it and how it impacted so many different people. Um, but the fact that you could have another episode and we all notice that, you know, outside of those opening shots, you know, the little, the, 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 you call it the mini montage of, you know, the, the three of them the next day, everything takes place in this townhouse much like almost everything took place either in the airplane or the um, the party boat last week until we got to the end of it, whatever. But this was even more self-included because it all took place just in that one building. Again, so many different rooms, so many different areas, I can't call it a bottle episode, but it but it has the feeling of a stage play still And from as they go from room to room. It's really... It's a, you know, where was it? Was that the, was that the fourth episode? Fourth episode of the season, right? It's rare to see a show firing on all cylinders, you know, episode after episode going into its final season. I mean, obviously we can think of a few, but, um, this is one of the more complex ones. And I'm really impressed with what they've been doing so far. Yeah, I am too. And my, my final thought on the episode is there's a line I made a note that I think is, uh, I think it it was a, a portend of things to come, and that is, Kendall says to Stewie, "This deal has to get done. I can't live in a haunted house." Oh yeah, yeah. And I and I think you know it, if if you game this out, that Kendall decides he likes being his dad and wants to blow up the deal and not sell and run the company, that he ends up living in that haunted house with his dad, the ghost of his dad you know, still lingering over him and, and, you know, scribing to seek the love or become the man that, that his dad was. And, uh, you know, that, that I thought that the final shot of him was rather ominous. Mm, yeah. Uh, in a way they've never shot Kendall. Uh, uh, so, so it's, it's going to be really, uh, it's going to be really interesting to see, him change his relationships with Shiv and with uh, with Roman and and see how that plays out because we've loved up until this episode we've loved having the trio together so much and that's gonna probably start splintering next oh, episode. Well, I mean it's it started as far as I'm gonna start splintering this episode. Well, once they boxed her out of the deal, that already that that's already broken her and what what he just did basically went directly against what roman wanted yes do we actually think rome 
I mean, I don't know. I didn't. I don't remember if I saw it in the trailer for the next episode or not. I would. I would find it somewhat hard to believe that Roman wouldn't either know or at least suspect that Kendall had to be behind it. You know, because Roman knows his dad, and so Roman should be able to foresee this is what, what you know that Kendall played a part in it. So that might the, the fracture there might already be happening, but I don't know. We'll see. Um, and, and imagine that as part of this hit piece, like there's you know a, a thing that comes out that he abused Roman. They could go there. They could go there. I would that would that would not be shocking. Um, okay. So great episode, and now let us turn the page. Oh wait, the page has a chapter at the top of it. It says chapter fifteen. That means we must be talking about Perry Mason. Now this episode had at least two really excellent things going for it: some truly great and fun character interactions, and we get puzzle pieces finally fitting together as some secrets are revealed. Answers are either given or at least alluded to, leaving for quite a setup for the finale next week. But before we get to the finale, we need to start at the beginning. Or maybe we're starting one day later, because we actually start the episode off with a brief flash forward of a bedraggled duo of Perry and Pete trudging out of the water onto the beach. From the way we're looking at it, it implies they just survived some calamity at sea or something. But unlike shows like uh, Breaking Bad, we go the more time-honored route of one day earlier, as opposed to having no sense of how far into the future or past this opening right. teeth might be. And oh, I, I thought you appreciate it. And now, because I didn't make a note of it, but I'm just remembering now. Do we get the opening title credit? Are they walking in front of the words Perry Mason? Is that how they do it in this one? Yes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> So then we cut to, you know, like we said, one day earlier, it's Milligan and Strickland, and they're toasting. Um, and it's clear to anyone not named Milligan that Pete isn't happy with what he's done. You know, especially the especially when you hear the mention of his loyalty to the office, because all that does is really speak to his betrayal of Perry Mason. And because we already saw that little flash forward, and then we go right to Pete with Milligan here we can already surmise that, okay, this is going to be a very Pete Strickland heavy episode, which pleases me, pleases the fuck out of me because he, he is far and away one of the best characters on the show. Every scene he's in is fun to watch. Yeah. He's got a real lived in feel to him that, that is somehow both comforting and, uh, um, but, but yet you don't completely trust him. He's kind of a lovable rogue. Yeah, he, he, I also find him one of the more interesting characters because he's the one character I can refer to as being both equally comedic and tragic at the same time. Uh, more oh, so, totally. certainly more so than anyone else on the show. Totally, um, the closest you even get to that might be Burger, maybe. Um, so we then go to a scene in the judges' chambers and we see that Milligan is being smug and the judge is exasperated. Hamilton clearly just wants to wrap everything up. And then we have Perry. And Perry, you know, there's no getting around that what he did in the eyes of the law was wrong. It does make you wonder why they, why he was sitting on that evidence the entire time. Because Della or Drake certainly would have said, you know, you're going to have to bring that to the judges and, and, you know, to everyone's attention here. You know, regardless of the impact it was going to have on the case, 
I mean, at the end of the day, you gotta do what's right. I mean, just the way Drake stepped up with the information about the gun and the things that Della has done. Again, they, I think they all share some level of culpability. You know, especially Della, quite frankly. Um, but at, but, oh, as I say, end of the day again. Wow. I'm going to say it anyway. At the end of the day, <laughs> it's Perry's name on the office door. It's Perry making, is the one making that final decision. So he's the one who has to, you know, pay the con- possible consequences here. But he, but you know, he knows he did the wrong thing. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he, he's, he's, He's doing the same thing the other side does, and that is uh, saying he's doing the wrong thing for the right reason. Right, right, right. So at the office, he gets a call from Pete. Look at that. We get a, we're going to get another scene with Pete. So much Pete. Pete, Pete, Pete. You're not going to get petered out on this episode. So much Pete. Anyway, <laughs> they meet on a bridge. No metaphor there. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and they end up having a... A, a, well, they, they have a conversation. I love. I believe there's a phrase called a "pussy punch." Yeah. <laughs> now, there's something I want to say, and, and and part of this is also directed at at one listener. Um, we find out that Eb's oh, remember Eb Eb's birthday was actually the combination of the safe, which apparently Pete had known in the past. So, you know, friend of this podcaster and the podcast itself, my my friend Adrian had asked me about this the week before. How did Pete? How is Pete able to break into that safe? And my answer to her was simply, um, I'm thinking he can just break into any safe. Apparently, it's just chains he has an issue with. So I want to thank this episode for actually filling in, answering her question in a much more reasonable and logical way than me trying to go, uh, no, no, they, they didn't make a mistake. It's fine. <laughs> so I, and I thought that was kind of funny. Like, he's like, you didn't even change the combination? <laughs> like, I worked for that guy for years. You think I, he's probably one popping things in the safe himself at the time. No wonder he would know the combination, you know? Yeah. I like that, that, that touch. And, and this show does a good job of, of adding those little touches. Right. And of course we, the, their conversation quickly becomes about the betrayal and then they have a fight. It's quite a fight. <laughs> there's, oh, yeah. there's even puke involved. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, I, I like it by by the time the fight and the fight goes on even longer than I think we realize it's gonna go on for. But eventually when 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 the when the fisticuffs end, I I love Pete going, so what are we gonna do about the case? Because he's automatically like, Okay, I know I need to make this up to you. I need to I, I need to I need to also alleviate my own conscience as well by trying to help you here. But Perry, you know, doesn't believe there's anything that can be done. He just thinks he's going to get this barred and thrown in jail. And I like, you know, Pete's like, uh, that's it. It doesn't sound like you. And then we, we get the little tease for whatever the next scene's going to be about. Well, there is a long shot, you know, dun, dun, dun. Now, earlier, for those who listened to the succession part of this podcast, you might remember I said that we had this nice little Deadwood-like moment in succession with the, you know, people making a deal. I got to say, the fight scene here, it's very Deadwood-esque. I mean, the only thing missing was someone either losing an eye or a life. <laughs> but other than that, the way it just goes on and on, and, it's, and there's moments of kind of brutality and, quite frankly, throwing in the puke <laughs> just yeah. felt it's like, because of all the shows we've watched over the last 25 years, 
if I if someone said, "All right, if there's a fight scene, which which show is most likely to have someone puke during or after?" It's like, yeah, probably dead. What? <laughs> yeah, yeah. You almost expect Perry's wife to pull up and get out of the car, and Pete to say, "Welcome to fucking Los Angeles." <laughs> With an accent, which strangely is. Anyway, so at the office, our our usually intrepid trio is about to become a foursome, but not without some contentiousness. Now it's interesting how that whole scene plays out. You 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 got the stuff between Pete and Drake, and 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 why that's why is the way it is because I think at. Oh, I was about to say end of the day again. <laughs> wow. That's a really easy phrase to keep falling into. Wow. Um, it's, 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 it's my, let me just say. Um, because one recollects, among other things, you know, Drake is pinning what he did to Perkins on Pete because Pete got him to go to do that. And we follow the dominoes. It's not just that he was responsible for what he did to Perkins. That ultimately leads to what he ends up doing to uh, to that Ozzy Jackson guy. So the the first domino that led to how screwed up Drake has been feeling as of late is Pete, and that's one of the reasons he kind of wants to beat the crap out of him. Although we get, although am I am I right? Does is Drake the first one to throw out a ra- a, a, a somewhat racial epithet? Yeah, he calls him a cracker. Calls him a Strickland cracker. says says, "What the fuck did you just call me?" <laughs> like, so I'll give him credit because he figured if if someone if someone's gonna pop out a word that people are gonna react to, he figured it would be the other way around. So I was like, "Oh, all right then, very interesting." And then also the way that Della reacts to him, whatever. Although Della, you know, Della and Perry, the two of them, be like, oh, "You're you." You're, you've got your own moral conflicts going on from time to time, including that the gun in the safe in the first place. So you know, you know maybe uh, settle yourselves a little bit there. Yeah, for sure. So then we get this scene, which is I don't know. I guess we know it, it, this seems to be a very important, interesting moment. It's Camilla and Lydell. And they're meeting with these what we what we surmise to be these Japanese emissaries about some, you know, some upcoming or future potential major business deal. We don't really know much on the specifics of it here. I mean, we we get some subtitles when we realize, oh look, Camille can speak Japanese, because um, I'm pretty sure Lydell can't. Um, but what's it's not something to worry about. By the time we get to the end of the episode, it becomes clear. You know, this is part of those puzzle pieces we're talking about. They're going to fall into place. It's equally clear that Camilla and Lydell at this point in time, they are not big fans of each other. Uh, especially the way he feels about her, apparently. Um, it, it's a it's a very tense, angry little moment for him with her, which, uh, which we don't know quite why he would react to her this way at this moment. Again, we kind of find out. <laughs> yeah. And then when we know that, then it's one of those, I, I kind of want to go back and watch that. <laughs> it, it, it's a great commentary on the time that she needed a face to do business mm-hmm. because people wouldn't have done business with her. And that when she discusses her relationship with Lydell later with Fipsy, again, she says like, you know, I think maybe he's becoming a problem. Right. Um, so 
you know, there's a big bad behind the big bad. And, you know, we thought Lydell was the was the end of the big bad train. And we find out we find out he's a cog in the machine. He's not the machine. He's a big cog. Yeah. But still a cog. Absolutely. Um, So after that, and and we'll we'll, we'll definitely delve more into that as we as we get into the more chronological order of events here. But first, Della visits him and she's concerned. She's initially rebuked, you know, as if this was some sort of ploy. But we do find out, as I think someone has said, um, he's being blackmailed. this This one's on you. You got this right. Now, he doesn't know by who. I have a theory who it is. I'm 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 gonna say I'm 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 like ninety something percent sure I'm gonna be right about it. I want to wait till later in the in the podcast to say it because there's a scene where which made me go, oh yeah, it's got it's. I will be shocked if I'm wrong about that. Maybe every and again, it may not be that that uh wow uh a deduction. Maybe every other uh, viewer f- has figured out the same thing as I did. Um, but I'm gonna wait. But you probably know who it is, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but but it's it's a great episode because Della breaks through his defenses and gets him like he almost resigns and gives in and just I like how he just sort of opens the door and just throws the pictures at her. Right. Because he, initially he wants her to let it go, you know. And, and I, again, I, I love when the, the thing with Della is it's. Is it the ultimate? Is it the? It's both the ultimate critique and the ultimate compliment, even if they never mean it that way. Or maybe it's the ultimate backhanded compliment is really the way to phrase it. Because he says she's getting just like Mason. You know, got it. I was like, wait, that's not the first time someone said she's kind of acting or thinking or speaking or whatevering like Mason. Interesting. Um, but he, I think he makes a reference to letting the feds handle it. Yes. And then she goes, wait, wait, whoa, 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 whoa. Why, why, why would the feds have anything to do with this? Now, was that just an accidental reveal on his part? Or did he actually open the door to something just a little bit? He's like, all right, I'll give you this little little scrap. You go run. You know, you like the three of you are more three PIs than you are lawyers anyway. Go ahead. <laughs> That's just what I was thinking. Whatever yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I think it's everything we've seen about him indicates he's a very measured, careful politician who plays chess in everything he does. Right. Even with her in this scene, I think, and the, the situation he's in, he can't solve as local law enforcement. The only way it could be solved outside of him would be the feds. And, you know, if Della can provide a push or, or if it could help her case in some way that that helps him, I think he slips that out there so that there can be plausible deniability on his part about the ultimate truth. But maybe she could get a little further down the road, and it also help him. Right, right, right. And also, just to be clear, in case it wasn't for anyone listening, um, referring to the actual case when we talk about the feds and their involvement, not his blackmail situation. I don't. Right. Yeah, Berger's not going to anyone else with those photographs. No. Not. I don't know about nowadays, but 1933 there's no. There, there ain't no way he would do that because it would that would still spell the end for him. So we 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 then uh, go over to Camilla. And Fipsy, and you see this sense of these issues between them. Um, I will, I gotta give the show credit. You know, if I can figure things out there, then it'll be things I'm like, huh. It wasn't until around this scene, 
I was like going, you know, I think there may be more up with Fipsy here. I didn't re- it I will admit it the what we the big thing we find out later on had not occurred to me at this moment. I wish I could say it had, but it hadn't. But just the way he's acting here and you know, and also when she finally says, I wonder if there's room for Della Street in our office, which is a really interesting thing. So then he goes, okay, what is her, what are her intentions where Della is concerned? You know, I kind of sort of think there might be a little bit more there, you know, based on what we've seen, you know, but she's, you know, maybe she's a bit more careful about it, you know, maybe she's a dabbler. I don't know. But, um, but the the whole scene for and and it gives, and it gives um the actor who's um his name is Wallace um I forget his last name but we we know him from several comedies over the last forty years from like you know Larry Sanders and a bunch of other things I like that it gives him a li- that we're, we're giving him a little bit more dramatic stuff to do here and we and you realize there's a certain pain with that character because and we think it's just from the pain of you know having to be the minion for, for Camilla as we realize there's things that he's done on her behalf. And I think we realize some of them in a big way later on. Um, but then when we fill in the, the thing with, with, with the wife later, it's, it, it make it's again, I'm not going to go back and rewatch any episode. I don't think anyone else is either, but it makes you kind of think about the way he, he handled those little short little scenes before. And, and maybe there's a lot more meaning to them. Like when he ran into Della, in front of the house the other episode. And he says he's going to go back to his wife, his real wife, whatever. And we were just going on about, you know, him. Ref- it's, it's him referencing his relationship with Camilla. But now that we know by the end of this episode, what the story is with his wife, that takes on a different light, I think. Right. And an urgency that we weren't, we weren't aware of before. Right. right. Then we get uh, one of my favorite moments in the episode. We get Pete and Perry showing up to see Holcomb, who's uh, you know got his eyes on a ship. There, I I love the little na- little nasty bits between Pete and and Holcomb, and you realize, oh, that kind of makes sense. Yeah, that kind of make because you, you can imagine at one point in time, these two guys were probably you know two kind of sort of not the most up and up guys on the police force working together except you know pete probably didn't didn't want to go much further with that and he left the force meanwhile holcomb just became probably one of the most corrupt people on the force right but their eyes are on a, a ship that's swarming with inspectors they're loading produce and it's, they realize it's supposed to be headed to the port of uh japan but we're still wondering where and why they're dumping produce and Pete has the idea they can sneak on his deckhands. The only problem is Perry has to lose that leather jacket. I will confess the way I am. I kept wondering, wait, is he really just going to throw it away? Or did he leave it? Is, his, is there a car or a motorcycle nearby? Can he put it there? Because that, that's a sweet leather jacket, man. You know, I'm just, I want Super to, sweet. I, I, hope he didn't, I, I hope he didn't have to get rid of it. Because that would really, you know. Or at least hide it somewhere you can find it later on. I mean, it's a leather jacket, man. It's not like he ain't rich. Okay, so they get on. <laughs> what am I talking about? The leather jacket. Um, they're on the ship. The boat eventually stops. And I, I'll, I'll admit, I got a little fuzzy for a second there, what was going on. But then when I rewound and watched it together, like, okay, now I'm clear on what's happening. So, and you can correct me if I'm wrong on this. So basically, they pull up alongside another boat. 
it looks like this is like a transfer point where so th- they're about the, they're, the ship that had been filled with produce they're just dumping all that over the side and in the in the cargo hold where or whatever you want to call whatever the container was of the ship um that helped that held the produce I, I would guess they're now you know through these you know massive tubes and whatever they are p- putting oil onto the ship yes okay and that's and and it's and it's one of those things where you're kind of a little confused, and then you start. It's like okay, so the produce is 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 basically bullshit. They're just bringing oil to Japan, but at this point in time, we're like, okay, why is why are they doing that in a way that's like under the table? What's what's the story here? Um, but again, we do come to find that out later on. Their original plan was to take a lifeboat back. And then they realized, hey, you know what? Lifeboats in this boat, they're massive. <laughs> yeah, 40 people. <laughs> anyway, they thought it was going to be like a little rowboat or something. So they're going to have to swim back. And it's going to be a long swim. And that's what catches up with the flash forward at the start of the episode. And it's really funny how they do. I love how, if I'm not mistaken, that because it's at night where all this is happening, of course. And you're like, ah, oh, you can see the shore from here. It's, it's like an hour away. And we know, as we saw in that flash forward, like, no, it, the the sun is up and then some. <laughs> yeah. Because you got to realize, how many hours must they have been swimming to get back to shore? Well, it's probably a good thing they had those ridiculous life preserver you know, <laughs> things. So. So. Beyond that, we we get a nice little scene between Clara and Paul while he's on his little surveillance duty. And at, at the end of mm, wow, I do fall into that phrase all the time. Wow, Paul is sorry. Paul is tired. Clara is awesome. Yeah, <laughs> that's basically my summary. And yep. that is not written down. I just came up with that just now. <laughs> oh, at the end of the day, indeed. Clara is awesome. I'm going to be titled the podcast at the end of the day. <laughs> so, um, oh, Lydell. So Lydell, he's got the, the press clippings about his son. And I always have the little thoughts like, did he actually snip those himself? Or anyway, but he has, a, <laughs> but it's those things they wonder about. I'm sorry. He has a flashback memory. We've got a flash forward in this episode. Now we get a flashback. And it's, it's a, this little scene, a confrontation to a certain degree with his son. And it opens with he, that he wants to send him off to Havana to avoid dealing with that subpoena that he had received. But Brooks, 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 Brooks was not all about throwing away the produce. He wanted to, you know, at least do something so that, you know, could get into the hands and mouths and stomachs of, you know, at least people who needed it. I mean, there would be money involved, but at least it wouldn't be going to waste. Um, we also learned through this scene that he actually has nothing to do with whatever this illegal oil business is that his father is is dealing with. And in this scene, we're led to think, oh, wow, I, Lydell had something to do with his son's death. Ooh, and that, cause that is where they're trying to direct us. And then after that, we have Della investigating Brooks's dealings with Charlie Goldstein, the uh, the produce guy whose head, you know, head got squashed. And she finds out that, I believe it's like the Office of Agriculture, which is you know a federal office, feds, um, that they both, she, that's where she finds out they had both been subpoenaed. 
And it looks like she's going to get even more information when the agent she's working with leaves the room. You know, it looks like he's going to go get that file for her. But after a very long wait, someone else shows up, a different Fed, pretty much saying, hey, you can go. Yeah, he ain't coming back. Oh, yeah. That, <laughs> that guy's gone to Havana, probably. <laughs> yeah. Now, what this, whatever this you know, scam or scandal is, it starts to come into focus as Perry gets her call and he starts to work it out with Pete and Marion, um, the secretary, who actually hits upon the best theory, which can lead Perry and, and us here on the podcast to lay it all out, that Brooks and Goldstein were selling the excess produce on the black market, you know, so people can actually eat it, the illegal oil that his father was loading those boats you know, up with and sending up to Japan, well, there's an embargo against Japan right now. So this may be, you know, I'll use the word literally, li- this oil may be literally fueling the Japanese military. So the dude is breaking the law. I, and even though, obviously, we're several years before, you know, America's at war with Japan, there's still something that's kind of sort of treasony about this, mm-hmm. <laughs> if I'm not Big mistaken. Time. And all of this, as we're watching it, you know, reasoned out, it starts to add up to why Lydell would have had his son murdered. And probably also why, well, not, not probably, definitely why Goldstein was also murdered. At least that's what we're thinking as we're watching, which is why I think this is such a genius fucking episode. We do get a little thing where Clara and Paul are following the car, finally. We, we get, it's the blue sedan with, with the woman inside it. Uh... The, I like that she comes up with the obvious idea of to, of to pretend to be a maid, and he doesn't want her to do that. I love right. that. That's really that's very smart. That's very j- j- just you know kudos to the writers on that one. It's like okay, I, I get why you did that. That's very smart. Well, and I like the idea that she's like, you can't be the one that goes up to the door. Oh no! Like, like her her sense of practicality. It, like really shines in this episode. Oh yeah, and and even though we all know why, the fact that we get a 1933 Karen moment—that's <laughs> exactly what I wrote in my notes. I was like, <laughs> I was like Beverly Hills Karen. Oh my god, absolutely! And also, then she the the the, 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 the initial plan is that she's going to pretend to be a Jehovah's Witness. Yeah, <laughs> and I was like, as someone, I have to say, as someone. Who for eleven, wait, eleven or twelve years, the where I lived before where I live now, which is actually just three blocks away, directly around the corner is a hall of Jehovah's Witnesses. So yes, they 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 came to the door at least once or twice, not too many times because they you know they don't you don't you don't want to poison the neighbor that you live in and keep bothering people over and over. But it happened twice in those, those eleven years, where I, <laughs> I even said to them. Is it a good idea for you to be knocking on the doors of people who live like you know right around the corner? Shouldn't you like you know give the rest of us some space or something? Just <laughs> just, just some advice, whatever. So she goes to the door, and she's you know whoever is inside just says to come in, whatever. And that's when we see, and we I guess we should have known this, or I should have known this, or whatever. I don't want to speak for you or anyone else because they kept referring to it as a uh, as a hop head or whatever. But the woman is a total junkie. And she, oh, yeah. you know, she's, and she's got the tubing around her arm. She's obviously already, you know, has, has injected. And she believes Clara is Josephine Baker, <laughs> which, okay. She looks nothing like Josephine Baker, <laughs> but you know, all they all, anyway, 
And then she goes into convulsions. Now, I, I, I kept thinking about if she should do anything or not. Because I could think, oh, you should. But how do you explain? Because if the authorities are involved, you can't tell them. You, the Jehovah's Witnessing ain't going to work then. Right. <laughs> you know. And then, of course, her being a woman, the fact that she's a woman of color to boot, and there's a drug thing going on with with this woman, she'll somehow get wrapped all into it herself, you know, because that's how they'll perceive her. Oh, she, they'd probably she, blame her for bringing the drugs. Absolutely, too. absolutely. They'll think she's more like a courier than anything right. else, or a dealer, even perhaps. Um. So, but 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 be, well, you know, I can. I don't need to bounce around. So, but eventually, what happens is, uh, you know. The, the man of the house comes home, and it's the lawyer. It's Fipsy. Fipsy. And that, for me, that was one of my, oh, kind of moments. And, I mean, not the biggest one in this episode, but, you know, second one. And she, but she is able, she does manage to get out of the house without being seen and while he's freaking out and calling for an ambulance and so on, whatever, she jumps in the car and they drive off. So we get to Lydell. Lydell and his grandson are, you know, shooting stuff because that's what, you know, that's what rich people do. Or people in your neck of the woods, Brian, I guess they skeet, skeet. Yeah. Well, yeah. When they're there, they just, you know, beer cans shoot, whatever. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> so Perry shows up. Um, <laughs> and I, does he, does Perry tell him that he's just returning something you dropped while the kid is still there? Or does the kid, or, is the, or has the kid already been sent away at that, at that point? I, I can't remember. I think he, I, I could be wrong. I think he tells him originally, and that's why Lydell sends the kid away. Yeah, I think so too. I, I don't, I, I just, cause I didn't, I didn't really make a note of that. <laughs> I, so I just remember. So Perry kind of insists that he, you know, Lytle uses it, you know, now uses influence on Berger to get him to offer a better deal for his clients. Otherwise, he's going to go, otherwise, either he's going to go public to the feds and the media, whatever, with all the information he has, or if something happens to him, that information will make it, it's going to go to those places regardless. That's the classic, oh, in the event of yeah. my death, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, it's, that, yeah. At, at the time, one, one, but I don't mind it. But there's something about, the way Lydell reacts and the way he's talking back to him that makes you think there's something more going on here. There's something that tells you that maybe, maybe Lydell didn't do it after all. And I, 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 I took things out of order because it's right after that that then then we, we that's when we see that Fipsy is the one whose wife it is, and that's prob- and that's supposed to be layering in how the reveal that's about to come. So right. Because when we when we bounce back, we have Perry basically saying, "How are you not to blame for his death?" And his, he very simply, you know, answers, "Because I didn't want it, goddamn it, you know." Yeah. Then who did? We cut to Camilla, playing who, who basically plays piano and p- plays out the rest of the episode, which I thought another nice little touch. I would, I would, yeah. I would, I would, I would, yeah, and I think there's a there's a really really sort of cruel irony to the fact that Liddell and Brooks were caught up in her web. Mm-hmm. And if you think about it, the number one thing he did not want exposed about Brooks was his perversity in his mind. Um and 
there's little doubt that with all Lydell knows and his power that he also knows Camilla is uh, living an alternative lifestyle and that he would probably find it extremely morally repugnant to have to be doing business with her and to be kowtowing to her. Right, 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 right. Which is why I think in the one moment with the Japanese businessman, you know, he basically tells her to fuck off. <laughs> when much. she suggests building a monument to Brooks and his generosity and Yeah, but it's it's so obviously yeah. But when we see the what happens this reveal makes that so much more like, ugh. Yeah. Ooh, wow, and then but but it's at this point you start putting things together because if she's the one who is ultimately behind the stuff, that makes Fipsy the one who's probably her emissary to, to to like he's the one who would have went to I would assume who went to go pay pay these these men off to to do the actual killing whatever because it wouldn't be her hands she, she's Logan Roy man she ain't gonna be the one doing this stuff right so and that's where he his moral conflicts have come into play and and and, and which which um, informs what what his performance has been this season right and speaking of those of fellows who are taking the rap for all this the Gallardos and I don't know if I I skipped over them earlier by accident you did. whatever I'm not gonna worry about it because I don't really care because I'll mention it here they're in prison. The mom had dropped by earlier because we find out, uh, other than her still feeling they were idiots and stupid for doing what they did, she also points out that there was hope on the horizon for them, especially for his younger brother, because he had actually gotten accepted to a prestigious art school. And she leaves it up to him, the the, the other brother, um, whose name for some reason just... Mateo. Thank you. Uh, bounced out of my head there. Um, whether or not to tell him. And in the, in the little mini montage we get while while Camilla's playing piano, we see that Rafa has returned from the hole that he had been thrown into in a previous episode, and um, he's not handling it very well. He's not in a good way at all. And then we see Mateo crumple up that letter that this is not going to. This news is not going to help him. It's right. not going to help him. We the the thing I finally I I alluded to without anyone picking up on it or not, I don't know, but I'm going to do it now. During this montage, we see a moment in the judge's chambers. This is what I was talking about. And we see it was that brief that um that the judge wanted written up about how to go about, um you know, we were going to put up charges against Perry Mason, about the, you know, about the evidence that had been suppressed, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And there is that little moment between Milligan and Berger. And I think he, I think Milligan might even pat Berger on the back, I think, during the scene. Yes. And that's when I wrote, Milligan is blackmailing Berger. I'm going to go with that until proven otherwise. I'm saying Milligan's the one blackmailing Berger. Well, I mean, if Nygaard wants to keep her criminal empire going, um, and I think we've seen throughout the show, you and I have commented that the burger character, you might not agree with him, but he seems to he seems to have like a sense of of right and wrong mm-hmm. and what justice he, he even says, you know, what justice should look like to the public. Um, I, Milligan might be a little more malleable to the powerful Camilla Nygaard. And I think he very well could have used her services to blackmail Hamilton to get him to step down and try to be her 
her instrument of power in the DA's right. office. I mean, I know, I, I know in many ways the easy answer is just that, oh, well, she's behind everything else and she must be behind this as well. And I do, and she very well may be part of it, but I, I'm just going to, I'm going all the way. I'm saying he's part of that because it ultimately, who, who does it also help? It helps him. Um, so again, it was just my thinking. I could be wrong. Hey, we don't, we don't, we haven't gotten to do a lot of theorizing on any shows that we talk about on this podcast. You know, we, we, we missed the lost craze by a decade. Yeah. So it, it's, so let, we either, we either be right or wrong. I mean, you know, got to take a swing here. Um, and then at Camilla's, we see that, that Fed who had, you know, pretty much froze Della out at the, uh, agriculture office. He stops by. For some reason, he stops by with photos of Della there. He could have just said, hey, that, that Della Street was there. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so so someone else, like, behind your shoulder, like, took pictures of her sitting in the office. Wow. But that's when she says, get me Phipps on the phone. And that is actually the end of the episode. Not sure how well that phone call is going to go since Phipps is kind of busy right now. Right. <laughs> but um, I liked the reveals. It made me go, you know, there's a reason you went and you got Hope Davis to play a part in this, this this season. So she plays a much more significant part than we might have first initially thought, which makes sense because of the level actress that she is. Yeah. And I'm kind of, I don't, now I don't know if the next one is going to be a season finale or might end up being a series finale. I have not heard if this show has been renewed the way things go in the land of television nowadays. I'm always going to assume it's not being renewed until we hear otherwise. Um, but I am very, I, I'm very curious about how there's still, there are still enough other mysterious elements at work here. And I want to see how it all plays out. Of course. Well, I have more, I have more hope for Perry Mason by the very fact it's on HBO. Uh-huh. They, t- they tend to be um, less stringent than, say, Netflix or Amazon, who basically seem to be giving everything but the greatest sensations one season and canceling. Um, and, and I mean, we were encouraged by season two. I think this has been a strong outing. Um, what I'm really looking forward to, and if, if next week is the last episode of the season, is... Um, you know, I, I think the piece you and I have missed um, is we still haven't seen, you know, Sam Ganji again, uh, Sean Astin. Oh, right, right, right. You're right. You're right. You're right. You're right. Like, I, I wonder, is he coming back in, in the last episode? And is he one of the power players involved, uh, you know, to to take over the produce department store world? Um, maybe, maybe not. We, we theorized he probably would be, uh, but we haven't seen him again. If this is the last episode, um, uh, I, I'm kind of thinking that, that we may, may have made more of that and we won't see him again, but it, but it would be another interesting peel of the onion to say there's another player here that we, we missed. I'm going to go to, I'm going to go in a slightly different, uh, direction than that, but, but, but picking up on your idea, but taking it somewhere that I want to go. Um, I'm going to say that he's not going to actually play that kind of a part in it. But as one of the sh- one of the things that this series seems to very very much emulate and want to be like anything that's from that's done in the last forty odd thirty forty odd years that's noirish and takes place in Los Angeles and it's in the thirties or whatever. 
Um, what they're going to do, what I, what I'm going to predict. Oh man, if I, this comes true. Oh man, I'm, I'm, I'm going to drop my, I'm going to drop my po- podcast mic and never going to record again. Cause I'm saying I'll never be better. I'll never be better than that. So you, you may know I'm a little fan of this movie called Chinatown, right? And one of the things I, one of the little things I really enjoyed about Chinatown is at the very beginning of Chinatown, there's a scene with one of, uh, Jake's clients played by, uh, Burt Young before, before Rocky. And it's just, it's just something we see in the very open, you know, opening scenes. And then that, then we think, okay, we're never going to see that guy again. But then there's a reason because they need a way to get out of a situation. And even though it's a couple hours later, they bring back that character just just to help them in a specific situation. You know, blah, 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 blah. I think there's going to be something very specific that the Sean Astin character can do that they will that they need some sort of help in that with be it his connections is either connections to produce or whatever it is, somehow they're going to utilize him in a way to help them, you know, not in a do ex machina kind of way, but because he's been part of the show already, but somehow he's going to play a more significant part. Cause I don't want to think that all the stuff with him was just to give us information about Perry's character and how even of trying to avoid criminal cases, he still has to deal with, you know, you know, the, the unethical and kind of rotten people regardless. I feel like that would, I'll be, I'll be okay with it, but I'll be a little disappointed by it. But if they can still utilize him to play a significant part, even if it's just one thing for the overall story of the season, that would be very satisfying for me. And that's so I'm I'm gonna make it like it's the Burt Young from Chinatown thing. Although obviously he's a different class than that character was, where in those in the last like half hour or something, something's gonna come up and they'll and they'll hit upon who do we how who do we go to that can help us with this situation and that's who they're gonna use. That's my that, that's my weirdo. That's my crackpot. Thi- oh, how can I, am I allowed to say that? Yeah, you are. It's okay. not. It's not trademark. Okay. No, no, I mean, even, even if it's. I mean, my thought was, you know, along what you're saying is, even if they use him to say, you know, your chief competitor was Goldstein, and you know, what were the business practices yep. that, that you were concerned about? Well, there was a rumor he was getting stuff on the black market, and you know, just something like that. To, no, absolutely. To, the produce connection. The, the most likely thing has to be a connection to the little produce situation. Now, how, how that, again, the, the funny thing about this, I was going to say at the end of the day yet again, um, there's all these things going on, but the, and I'm curious to see, is it, are we still, can we still get away from the fact that the gun was held in the hands by one of these kids and that happened or got whatever, or not? I mean, I don't think there's going to be a reveal like, oh, that turned out they didn't. They didn't fire the gun after all. Although that would be <laughs> that would be an amazing reveal. But um, it, it's it's interesting. I'm really looking forward to seeing how they wrap it all up. The split the baby is one of them takes the blame, i.e., Mateo, and saves Rafa. Yeah, I could see it being that. I could see them you know, going that way. But but you know, this show hasn't taken the easy way out. It, it didn't last season, and no. I, I still think it won't. But, you know, hey, uh, exciting to look forward to the last episode and um, exciting to talk more about Stephen Root. There you go. And that's what we're going to do right now.
because we are going to talk just a little bit, because I see the hour. I know what time it is. We got to talk about the premiere of Barry. Barry's final season started same night, Succession. It's on Sundays. It came back two episode premiere for its final season, no less. It was an episode for, I think the first episode was titled Yikes. Yeah. <laughs> what I'm, something I have typed many a time, quite frankly. And the second one was Bestest Place on the Earth. Not Bestest Place on Earth. <laughs> I like the Earth being there. So, um, I would say it was quite the premiere. Um, Although I I I, I gotta I gotta take a minute or two to make an observation here, and I probably I feel like I might have talked about this before, but you know it's probably been a while, so I'm allowed to repeat myself a little bit. When especially when you combine these two episodes, it's really getting harder and harder to rationalize calling Barry a comedy. Um, because outside of the rival warring gangs meeting at like a David Buster's or a few of Gene's little flourishes here and there. There's really very little to laugh at in either of these episodes. Now, however, let me take this a little further. Now, the idea of a comedy or a dramedy, I guess, that's been going around for 40-odd years. You can trace it back to some episodes of MASH. There were, then there was a, a couple of them that came about in the later 80s. You know, the, the, the day, what was it? Like the Days and Nights of Molly... Dot or Molly Brown, whatever. Um, Frank's Place was another one. I mean, we saw these other shows occasionally be that way, or they would have these very caustic, serious things that would happen in them. Hell, even Larry Sanders' show occasionally could be like that. Um, one can say some of the later shows, and once we get into the 2000s, have elements of that, but I kind of push back on that a little bit. But there's been a, something that's been going on for the last few years where a lot of comedies are following this kind of model where it's like, is that really a comedy? I mean, I guess so. It's sort of, I mean, the bear is one of those shows. Barry is one of those shows. Um, quite frankly, hacks is kind of like one of those shows. And there's, and there's you know, there's a, there's at least a few others. That, um, I don't, I don't, not Oh, Atlanta, Atlanta. Thank you. That's the one I was trying. I, could, I was drawing a blank on the goddamn title of all things. Um, Atlanta is certainly one of those. Um, so I, I just find it interesting because the most memorable things from like all these shows I just mentioned are almost never comedic. They're always, they're almost always something dramatic, whatever. And probably some of the best dramatic performances and writings that we've seen in the last few years are on shows like that more so than your standard full length dramatic series, whatever. I mean, I was talking about that with the bear not that long ago because someone was saying, "But is it a comedy?" Because I, like, well, yeah, I don't remember really laughing much when I watched the bear at all, but I really enjoyed it. But it wasn't funny. <laughs> I just didn't, it was intense, but not funny. Barry, at least when it started out, especially when you have Bill Hader as your star and Stephen Root, and you have um, and Henry Winkler, you've got you know certain seasoned performers in the comedy field even the original remember the original cops were kind of played very in a very silly way i think initially before um before she was murdered i guess whatever but at this point i mean yeah you get and gene has kind of you know been toned down for the last couple seasons ever since the murder although in one of these episodes he puts on a performance to for the h is quite frankly a one-man show um, and I, I get, and even Hank, who, um, 
who can be quite silly and, and fun and comedic, has been dealing with a lot of serious stuff. Even when he's funny, he's not. You know what I'm saying? It's just, I, and again, this is not at all a criticism. I just find it interesting. It's like, eh, if you submitted this for a different category, I'd be okay with that. You know, and right now, this show, it's, I mean, we can, I guess we can call it a dramedy, whatever. And more so this season than any other season, it's gotten downright surreal. They're, yeah. they're going places, which is like, okay. They series is about to end. Bill Hader has an open, you know, has has a blank check to do what he wants, and he is doing it. And you're either you're either there for the ride, you're going to be, or you're just going to be scratching your head. I think there was some six feet under shit in in these episodes, like big time. And uh, I found it. I, I don't know that it totally worked, but as I watched it, I liked the choice to sort of make some of the really, really, uh, uh, risky moves to be like, he's sitting in a room, but it's on the beach and you pan back and forth and you see like, you know, it's not a cut that, that it looks like they probably actually built a set like that, that, um, to sort of say like, you know, there's this, place that he goes to in his mind um i I like the idea um but i I really really think the tone set in the early episodes is the show's gonna take some big swings and and it has i mean you know whether we think back to the karate episode or you know or we think back to that just bonkers like chase on the highway um that this show this show takes some big big chances, and I think we see it doing that. And uh, the thing I was surprised about was bringing, um, you know, the love interest line back uh, in order so quick that that she can tell him that with all the disappointment in her life, she can tell him that she felt safe with him, that she always felt safe with him. Um, I found that really, really uh, a fascinating thing to do this early in the season. Um, so much so that it, you know, gives him false hope that they can possibly have a happy ending. Uh, right, but, I, but her, but her, but her doing that and also then walking away, kind of, it almost kind of undercuts it. I think. But, yeah, but she's a mess, man. Oh, well, she's oh, she's a, oh, she's oh, she's a train wreck of, of she's a train wreck on the level of you know the the, the fugitive movie from the nineties right now. It's yeah, you know, and she's and she is losing it right and left, um, and to the point where what 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 like what is it? Her her agent essentially fires her, but says, oh yeah, you could probably do like a reality show because you know. You you were date you were dating a I love that this the army that's calling him a serial killer even though at this point in time and again I hate to say correct me if I'm wrong but correct me if I'm wrong he's only in prison right now for the, for killing the cop they don't right. I mean the word hasn't gotten out about everything else he's done so I, I don't know where where these people are leaping to the serial killer thing. Because there's no, been, there's been no indication in the press that he's he's a hitman or that he's killed multiple people. I've I've not seen it. That's not, well, no, that's not but, how I read it. 
but but he's been arrested for her murder and and he was arrested trying to kill her dad like like it I mean, oh, okay. You, you know what I mean? Like, like there's an implication that that he's that okay. Her, her murder wasn't a one-off. I, I'm okay. Then I'm just going to call them out then because now, now I have, now you've given me you know you know carte blanche to do that because um, we're, we're playing a little free and easy with the term serial killer. Agreed. That's Agreed. A, that, they, no, that, that that is not a serial killer, people. Agreed. Um, beyond that, everything else, absolutely. Um, well, they had already played the idea of him going to like this other place in his mind in the previous season with all the people he had killed, and it's also which was also on a was on was on a beach, if I'm not mistaken, right? Although I got confused Correct. initially, and especially because they they he he deliberately shoots them in very long shots, and he does that so because since this isn't going to be projected on a movie screen, that way you can get away with having someone as you know the Fuchs character, even though he's clearly much younger and it's probably not Stephen Root um, who's standing there, but it's Stephen Root's voice and things like that. I thought they were actually, I didn't think that they were on a beach. I thought they were in a desert, quite frankly, because of how you know dry and cracked everything seemed around them. But what I want to say was like, I didn't realize initially, and it's my own dumbness then, if, if, you know, if, if I'm the only one who felt, who thought this, I didn't know initially these were weird little fan, um, but I guess I don't, is fantasy the right word? I don't know how else to put it. Um, his imagination. I didn't know that's what I thought initially. I thought, Oh, are we getting memories? And I was like, going, how could but Fuchs couldn't have known him when he was a kid. And, like, and that's when I realized, oh, wait a minute, that doesn't make any sense. Okay. No, no, no. This is just, and it, it's Barry kind of Barry is a man child. And the way, and we know that because he, 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 he he's emotionally stunted. Yes. And the way, he, and you see that by the way, all seasons, the way he's spoken to his girlfriend, um, before and after, the way he speaks to Gene all the time. He's like, he's like a little kid hoping for his father's or mother's approval. And, you know, and so, and all these little scenes we're getting are kind of like informing us about that. Do they work or not? Um, I found them fascinating. Agreed. So, I, and, and it got, it, 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 you know what? I was all for doing anything to take me out of the prison because there's one, the one thing I don't want this season to be, I don't want to spend all, I guess it's an eight episode season. Yeah. I don't want to spend all eight episodes of Barry in prison. Agreed. And so when they, in one of the episodes, when they start talking about possibly breaking him out, I was like, oh, okay. That, okay, I'll, I'll follow that storyline, whatever. Or maybe there might be a deal to be made, even though I can't imagine, you know, um, how that's, how that would work. But now they, the, now the, now, now they actually want to kill him. I don't know how that would work. Here's the thing about taking a big swing. And I'll say, here's the biggest swing the show is taking. And you might've said they've already done this in previous seasons, but it's, I think it's even more so once we've seen the first two episodes of this season, more so than any ever before, maybe last season two, to a certain extent, but really more by the end of last season, going through these two episodes. Here's the quest. The question is, how are we supposed to feel about Barry? And how are we supposed to feel about Gene? And I think that the, 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 the huge chance they're taking, you know, which is on the level of, I don't know. It's 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 a very different thing, but I we always like to use Breaking Bad as an example. 
remember we got to a point in Breaking Bad, like, I'm not sure who I'm supposed to be rooting for anymore, or if that even matters anymore, or whatever. I kind of feel that way about Barry and Gene right now. I mean, Barry is so extremely damaged and whatever, but, I mean, it, it's hard to really just go, he's a good guy. I mean, he's, I think he's a, I think it's almost like he's a bad guy with a soul, who doesn't? Who just never understood, you know, the difference between right and wrong because of what he's gone through, either being, either be as a child or or his wartime experiences, whatever. Gene has become. I mean, what do you make of Gene at this point? I mean, he he, he might be a he's a very Gene has become a very much more interesting character than I ever would have given him credit for. I mean, that whole elaborate thing he does with that reporter, it's kind of insane oh it's 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 totally insane and like when barry calls he takes his call to just at the end say like to gloat (laughs) and say got you you know like like the, the turns they've made the turns they've made with sally i mean probably the least changed character in a way is noho hank um but you know he finds he he sort of feels a betrayal yeah. at the end of this um but but I, I mean you know to give credit where credit's due i thought one of the most amazing things that it sort of reminded me of you know the the scene in uh um uh, the untouchables where they're at dave and buster's and Hank and his oh. partner are walking around the table and they're talking and it follows one until they cross paths with the other and shifts and goes the other way. Like, I love that. I loved it. Okay. I, don't, I, <laughs> I wasn't expecting him to get hit with a bat, so, but <laughs> I do know what you're talking about. The performance those two put on, it, it's, it, 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 it's like the cheesiest Ted talk. Yes. <laughs> and you're, Instead of David Buster's, we're going to all start with some jalapeno poppers. Yeah, yeah, oh, but and the, and the waitress is like has hasn't even left. He's like, so we're going to kill them, <laughs> you know. But but it, in the midst of this, it, you know, it, sort of insane over the top stuff. There's really interesting camera work going on. Oh, I like it. Yeah. It just is. Is great, and then they go to that room, and I like how the guy goes. He goes, "No, we have this room for thirty more minutes," <laughs> and, oh, and, you know. And they're talking about sand, you know, going legit with sand. Um, but it 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 is a show that we've loved and want to see what happens, uh, and have really been impressed by Bill Hader and the the chops he's shown as a. Um, a director, and I think he directed both these episodes. I if, think he's if trying, I remember if right. If I'm not mistaken, I think he's going to direct all the episodes of the season. Wow, I think so. Well, I'm pretty sure that's the case. If I'm wrong, we'll find out. But I think, I think I had heard ahead of time he's going to be directing all of them. The thing with the thing about Bill uh, and the, and the Barry character, and again, if it, it kind of it goes alongside what I said about. Um, how are we supposed to feel about him and and taking a swing is there the the risk also is your when you take your main character of whatever show you watch and you and you plunge him through these trials and tribulations where 
they are whatever, a sh- either they're a shell of the former selves, or they're experiencing either be hallucinations, or they're lost in their own mind, or they're drifting here and there. There's always the risk that you start to put distance between them and the audience and the viewer. And you can think of, you know, think about Don Draper in the final season of Mad Men, especially when, you know, because he's like, okay, he's, he's less and less Don Draper now. Now he's just roaming around the country and doing this and that and whatever. And it's like, and, and there's nothing wrong with that except it doesn't feel like he's our Don Draper anymore. Or when you get to, you know, Tony Soprano and he's having these, he's having these dream sequences because he's been in a coma for like three episodes in a row. And it's like, okay, I don't know how much time I want to spend with that. And, you know, and there's a few other really significant examples, but again, I don't, I'm not here to list them all. I worry, I was worried that we're going to go that route with the Barry character and we've only got eight episodes. We just knocked off two of them. He's in prison. He, he of course, had to be... Because he has to... If he can't literally beat himself up other than, like, banging his head against the wall, which is a little bit too, a little bit too raging bull for me, quite frankly, right. then he's going to get the one guy, the one CEO who probably would, would have been his best ally to have there to make sure he's okay. He doesn't care about being okay. And he says things in a way where he's, he forces the issue where the guy ends up beating the holy hell out of him where so where he's like you know you know a, a, a bloody a bloody pulp at that point i i'm okay with you introducing this prison stuff and and what's going between being in his own head and and, and beaten being beaten, beaten hell out of or whatever but i don't want i don't want to have this going for that many more episodes no i agree and if hopefully they come up with a, a way um that is believable enough and still fun or interesting to get him out of this situation. Because I just, I, I, I don't, I, I can't have, I can't have seven or eight episodes of that. I just can't. I, I agree. And and the last thing I'll say about it is I like the turn they made for Fuchs where he was going to screw Barry over and then doesn't after he sees Barry hurt and actually feels bad for what he's done. And I love the line where he's hit, where he's in with the feds. It goes, because you guys try to turn people against their friends. You're dicks. <laughs> right, right, right. I mean, you know, Stephen Root's always a joy. But, uh, you know, there was some good emotional moments about him seeing himself sort of as a surrogate well, the, uh, for Barry. The, 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 the last thing I guess I'll say about it is, focusing on Fuchs for a moment, is we get two episodes of Fuchs, and the number of times he flips back and forth between how he perceives the situation and Barry is more than, <laughs> it's, it's staggering. You know, he's, you know, he, he goes from being scared for his life to trying, well, trying try, try to be his friend, to feeling sorry for him, to wanting to, until ultimately thinking he's been betrayed by him because it's his call to Hank at the end, which sets that possible yes. situation in motion, whatever. Um, it's interesting. Uh, I'm, yep. uh, we'll see where where they go with all this. Um, I honestly don't know how they'll end the season. I, you know, one could assume someone's going to die. I don't know, uh, <laughs> but maybe not. Then that's what's weird because at the end of the day, it's supposed to be a comedy, and I don't know where they go. <laughs> but you, but but you never know. I will and. Uh, I, I will say that if I join Fuchs' prison gang, I've already decided my name. Oh. My name is 
My name is Long Drive. Oh my God, the oh, that was a that was such a great scene. If if I had thought about it, cause, you know, quick peek behind the curtain. I wasn't sure until some, at some point into this podcast if we were even going to be able to fit in talking about Barry or not. I decided to do it. You might notice if you go back and listen to the beginning. I never said the shows we were going to cover for that reason. I was giving myself an out. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know if you picked up on it, but I'm just letting everyone else know. Um, but you just what was it? I want to respond to something you just said. What did you just say? Oh, you you were, you were going to call me Livewire to to your Jason oh, yeah. at the beginning of if, the podcast. If if I hadn't gone with the the succession reference, I was totally going to use the nicknames from, from yeah the, from the Barry episode. And I said I can't do that because I don't know if we're going to talk about Barry yeah. for sure. Yeah. Alrighty. Wow. So we. All right, not bad. We we covered three, two fifty. Uh, not bad. Okay, so everybody, you guys out there, if you enjoyed this podcast, God, I hope you did. You might enjoy hanging out on our podcast podcast page as well, our Facebook page is what it's actually called. Serious TV drama podcast. Like the page and join the conversation about shows like Barry, like Succession, like Perry Mason, or pretty much any of anything else that's TV related or, or even movie related. I'll, I'll, I'll let it go. Now you can go to Podbean. Dot com to find all 376, 376 of our podcasts. Although, as I was recently reminded, <laughs> I think the audio on my end is, per- is pretty bad for like maybe the first 257 of them, so you can skip those. That's <laughs> 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 still a little bit of one in our early years. The audio is shifting from one year to the other. It sounds like you might have just dug up my audio from a time capsule. It was right next to like Marconi's first radio or something. Anyway, oh, by the way, you can also find, speaking of me, you can also find Scott Forgot the 80s on podbean.com also. Just remember one T in Scott. You can find us on Instagram. Our handle there is Serious TV Drama, as one word. And of course, please follow us on Twitter. We're still there. Um, and our handle there is at STVD Podcast. That's STVD as in Serious TV Drama. And I know I forgot to mention. Gosh, guys, if you want, go on Apple Podcasts, or I know you can do it on other sites. People, I've been told Spotify and other things also have a thing where you can rate and review things. I'm dumb. I can't find where that is. So just stick with the Apple Podcast. It's been a while. I wouldn't mind a couple of nice new reviews and and stars there. Uh, Unless you only want to give us one star, then uh, don't do that. So we will be back next week to give a full breakdown and analysis on what will either be the season or the series finale of Perry Mason, as well as hopefully the next great episode. We hope it's going to be great because it's been great so far this season of Succession. I actually heard some people critiquing one of the episodes, like the second one. I was like, ah, idiots. And they're like media personalities. And yeah, we'll try to talk a little bit about that Barry Berkman fella as well. So, Brian, uh, it, was, <laughs> it was longer than our previous ones, but we knew it was going to happen. So thank you so much for your patience and for joining me once again this week. Enjoyed it. Y'all have a good night. Indeed. Thanks for listening and good night. Mm-hmm.